After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are here to break down the Yankees farm system today. And to do that, we are joined by Josh Norris. Josh has done the Yankees farm system since before I got to BA, which was now almost six years ago. It's crazy how time flies. Josh, at the end of last year, when you and I did this very same Yankees podcast, we talked about how there could be a lot of low-level players who could potentially break out in 2021. Obviously, there was no 2020 minor league season. The Yankees did not hold an instructional league. So it was kind of a wild card who some of these players would be, but they had a mass of them. And we saw a lot of those breakouts take place this year. Anthony Volpe being first and foremost among them. Had a couple of other guys really pop and be used in trades at the deadline. Guys like Kevin Alcantara, guys like Ezekiel Duran. Now that a lot of these breakthroughs have happened in the Yankees system, and again, some of them are no longer in the Yankees system. They were traded, but there are still a lot of guys who are still Yankees as of today. How do you kind of assess the state of this farm system? I mean, understandably, I think it's a little depleted because they did use a ton of guys. Um, to acquire Gallo slash Jolie Rodriguez, uh, Anthony Rizzo, um, the reliever from Pittsburgh, whose name is escaping me right now, um, and then Andrew Heaney as well. Uh, so there was a lot of guys used in that trade, in those trades. Uh, they're not nothing, but they're certainly um, less than they were a couple of years, you know, entering the year. Um, if this had been, if, if nothing had happened, this would have been, I think probably a top 10 system in baseball, assuming all the other guys had broken out, et cetera, et cetera. But those guys did break out this year and a lot of them, not all of them were traded. Like when we were talking last year, these were not necessarily the guys I thought were going to break out. And I think I've told anybody who would listen that last year's Yankees list was you know, 12, 20 page or whatever it is of, of shrug emoji. They had no minor league system or minor league season. There's no instructs, scouts, didn't see any video. It was, I'm going off of what people will tell me has happened at the alt site. And there wasn't a whole lot of real prospects at the alt site. There was none, but there wasn't, you know, Volpe wasn't at the alt site. You know, guys like that weren't there. So you had to really just kind of either make sure they weren't seriously injured or anything like that and just kind of wait till next year, really. But Fulpe was, you know, among the biggest breakouts in the minor leagues this year. And Oswald Peraza was right there behind him. And there were other guys who broke out. I mean, Randy Vasquez among him, uh, among them. Hayden Wesneski also in the top 10. Oswaldo Cabrera, I mean, hit 29 home runs out of, and entering the year, he'd had, if I can do this math, 22 in his career. Uh, Ken Waldachuk came out of nowhere. Everson Pereira was one of the guys I would hope would have broken out. Um, yeah, I, Elijah Dunham, who we weren't really talking about last year, but yeah, a lot of these guys did break out and it just wasn't necessarily a hundred percent of the guys I thought were going to. 
Yeah, you talk about the trade deadline. Clay Holmes was the reliever they acquired from there the Pirates. Is. But overall, they traded 10 prospects at the deadline. Diego Castillo, Hoy Park, Ezekiel Duran, Trevor Hover, Josh Smith, Glenn Otto, Kevin Alcantara, Alexander Vizcaino, Jansen Junk, Elvis Peguero. And a lot of those guys really, really boosted their stock this year. But as you mentioned, so many of these guys that are still in the system, you named a bunch of them, had really good years as well. And I actually think it's a testament to the Yankees player development system, just how many low-level guys seemingly took steps forward despite the lack of reps, despite not having a season, despite not having instructs last year. First and foremost among them is Anthony Volpe, first round pick a few years ago. And at the time, he was seen as a guy who was you know, a little bit undersized, really instinctive, kind of a, just a good ball player, but didn't have a huge tool by any means. Came back this year and had one of the best and loudest seasons in the minor leagues. Went nearly 30-30, had an OPS over 1,000, going from low A to high A, and really emerged as, as, frankly, one of the top, conservatively, one of the top 50 prospects in baseball. And there's a lot of people who think he's one of the top 25 prospects in baseball. What changed and, and what led to this breakout season for Anthony Volpe? I mean, he did a lot of work off-site with his various, you know, hitting coaches and, and people like that. And he's around a lot of good people in that area. I mean, I, I think it's funny that I do two systems, or I do four systems, but two of the systems I do, uh, the Yankees and the Rangers, were led by prospects on the same high school team, Jack Gleiter and Anthony Volpe. And I, I did ask a couple of guys at VA, like, is there a, uh, a precedent for two guys on the very same high school team being on co covers in a three month span. Like they had, uh, we had Volpe on the Yankees cover and we have lighter on the, the, the most recent issue that we just sent to press today, but that's a long little bit of a diversion there. He just, he got stronger. He matured a little bit. It wasn't a whole lot of change. I don't think just strength really. And when you saw him in, 2019 after his draft it was an incomplete like he came out of that draft and he had mononucleosis and I've never had it but it sounds like it's a thing that makes you um a little you know iffy for a while so I, there was a giant incomplete on him you know I could have put him in the 10 I could have put him where I did which was like 16 last year but you couldn't really you didn't really have any justification for moving him one way or another because there was just no data you know, and then he comes out and my goodness, and he was one of the very, very best players I saw all year. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I see a lot of players all year. He was, he lived up to it uh, and then some for me. Yeah, I mean, the reviews all around were excellent. What is the next step for Anthony Volpe in terms of his development? Proving he can play shortstop every day, which is not out of the question, but you'll, there certainly are questions about whether he might have to go to second or to third base. Um, the next step is proving it at the upper levels you know we've seen the, the the road to wherever you want to go the road to perdition is paved with guys who uh performed at the lower levels and got chewed up at the higher levels i think at the higher levels his his approach which that's what stuck out to me more than absolutely anything else he did was the way he commanded at bats like he was not afraid with two strikes he was not afraid he got his pitch and when he got his pitch he did not miss it and that was just, I think I saw him six games. And that was as consistent from game one to game six in any of them. But now he has to prove it at double A Somerset and triple A Scranton Wilkes Bear or Barry. Um, that's, that's really the next step for me. Yeah, definitely something uh, 
a lot of people are going to be watching next year. A lot of eyes are going to be on Anthony Volpe and he deserves it after his great season. And I know we're all curious to see how he's able to translate it to the upper levels next year. Josh, the player who was number one on this list last year, Jason Dominguez, you talk about guys who are kind of giant question marks or there wasn't just a lot of information on. He received a $5.1 million signing bonus when the Yankees signed him in 2019. It was tied for the highest bonus any player in that year's international class. His pro debut was delayed by the coronavirus pandemic. Finally made his debut this year. Got up to low A. You have to remember he was the same age as a lot of high school seniors this year. So still a very, very young kid. What were the reviews on him? Just because, again, he was such a mystery in so many ways. And now that people finally got a real look at him, what were the assessments of Jason Dominguez? There were no reports that matched the hype, period. There were also no reports that completely canned him either. And I think kind of what you mentioned is really important to think about. This is a player in his first full season or his first season at all uh, as a minor leaguer. He's 18 years old and will continue to be 18 years old until February 7th, 2022. Um, Looking at his bio right here. I don't just remember his birthday off the top of my head, but him playing in that league and, you know, holding his own was impressive enough. I mean, there's, there are concerns about his body. It's, it's a thicker body. It's stockier. There's not a whole lot of projection remaining. It seems like there are, Concerns about whether his speed has diminished a little bit. But again, he's 18 years old. He had as much pressure on him from external sources uh, as any player I can remember. I I was told, you know, he had guys, uh, you had to have extra security for him down in uh, Tampa because there were so many autograph hounds. And the last time I heard extra security for a player was Bryce Harper and, you know, similar levels of hype not as long a time, but uh, the hype for Jason was out of control. I mean, Futures game with like six pro games under his belt is a lot of pressure. And to his credit, he seemed, he did not seem to bow to it or, or wither in front of it. He ate it up. I mean, just watching him in Denver, uh, standing in the outfield shagging fly balls, he was loving the attention he was getting from all the fans screaming for his autograph. There was, a, there was a sign from a grown woman proposing marriage to him. Uh, it, was, it was wild to see just how famous he is and how well he was holding up to those expectations. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see what he does next year when he's got a full season under his belt and he had some time down in, uh, in Tampa for their instructional camps and things like that. But considering all the circumstances, I think he did – pretty well yeah you mentioned again since the age of a high school senior goes out with all that hype all those expectations gets up to low a and and again doesn't do terribly you know you take the context into account uh, there's certainly things to like the body comment is interesting because i remember when he signed seeing pictures of him and even then i was like whoa this guy is real thick real big it's not typically what the guys who are 16, 17 and blossom into the superstars look like just because the guys who are that big, that young, even if it's all muscle, they slow down a lot. It becomes a lot more of a pure masher profile as opposed to the supposed five-tool talent that he was reputed to be. At the same time, there's still a lot of avenues for him to be a productive and impactful major leaguer. As he moves into this next full season, what are the key things to watch for Jason Dominguez? He just has to keep making better swing decisions. And 
and you know getting used to pro pitching i mean it's just not that long a sample size even entering or yeah entering last year's book one of the big questions for him was he hasn't really faced breaking balls like he's he's done well in tryouts and things like that but they wanted to see how he'd fare against pitchers who could sequence who could throw quality off speed and it was a learning curve for him. You know, they, they felt like the, the bats got better as the year went on, but you know, there's all, again, the age of a high school senior coming into this year, that's you throw any high school senior into low a and you're, you're going to get a mixed bag. I mean, I, I could argue that he wasn't even the best 18 year old in that league this year. I would argue that, that, you know, uh, well, I, it's an easy argument. Yuri Perez was the best 18 year old in that league this year. Uh, uh, and Alexander Ramirez from the Mets was also pretty good in that league this year, but you're going to get a mixed bag of guys who can hack it at that level. So he's going to be fun to watch. He's going to go next year to a much different league and I'm sure he'll have be dealing with the same level of hype and same level of external pressure and same level of autograph hounds. And I'm sure the teams that if they're smart, the teams, the team he's on will promote the hell out of him, and the teams he's facing will promote the hell out of his appearances, um, as well they should. He is a name brand at this point. One of the other interesting things with Jason Dominguez before we move on is he's a young switch hitter, and we see it's pretty rare for guys that young who are switch hitters to be good from both sides. It takes a little bit of time, a little bit of development. His overall numbers are actually weighed down a lot by his right-handed swing, just as a lefty facing right-handed pitching this year. He actually did pretty well, 288, 371, 446. Again, it's only 139 at-bats, but it's actually pretty darn impressive if you just look at what he did as a left-handed hitter. The right-handed swing was not as productive, has a ways to go. But I think if you just kind of look at what he does well from his strongest side, things start to look a lot better than you just look at the overall slash line. Josh, these are two prominent players. Again, Volpe was a first-round pick. Dominguez was a high-level international signee. We've talked a lot about in the past how the Yankees' track record of drafting has not been very good, but their track record of international signees has been very, very good. Anthony Volpe might be a guy who can kind of break dry spell outside of Aaron Judge, which admittedly was a big hit. The Yankees have not had a lot of big hits in terms of their first-rounders becoming productive big leaguers, really, since Ian Kennedy, with the exception of Judge. Another first-round pick that looks like he's going to do some things, at least on one side of the ball, is Austin Wells. Uh, He went out this year, his first full season, and pretty impressive at the plate, similar in the Arizona Fall League. At the same time, coming out of the draft, there was a lot of doubt that he would ever be a catcher in the major leagues, and seeing what it was like this year in full season ball, as well as the Arizona Fall League, a lot of those were kind of solidified that, yes, there's not really an avenue for him to be a catcher in the big leagues. However, you can't deny the impact in a left-handed bat. And as we talked about, the Yankees have lacked that a little bit recently. Overall, just what were the assessments of Austin Wells and in his pro debut? He can really hit, I mean, almost, almost uniformly that he can really hit and really hit for power and does really well in terms of knowledge of the strike zone and swing decisions and, and all the good stuff that you look for in a guy who can hit and hit for power. I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers right here, 117 strikeouts to 71 walks, 16 home runs in 103 games. He did pretty well in the fall league too, if I remember correctly, it's looking like a pretty good pick. And it's especially interesting this year, considering you know, he was drafted as an eligible sophomore. So this year would have been a junior year. For him, so he didn't even have that much collegiate experience behind him. 
So I, I thought it was a really impressive year for him, and it got better, I think, as the season went on. His numbers at uh, high A, as far as batting average, were better than they were at low A, and the slug was about the same. The OBP took a little bit of a dip, but I think there's a little bit of an element to the, uh, the robo-umps that were in that league this year that might be playing that part. Um, same with his stolen base numbers in Tampa. But anyway, I think he is a really, really impressive young player. And, you know, the more I, when I started writing him, I didn't quite know where I was going to put him, but it kept moving up and up and up on this list. And number five is pretty good. I think in the top five of the systems is pretty darn good. I think. Yeah, there's no question. Again, uh, I got my first real look at him in the fall league and it's a presence in the box. It's good at bats. It's a lot of impact. We saw him record nine extra base hits in 18 games in the fall league. Really just kind of that middle of the order run producer type. Came up with some big hits as well, some big run scoring hits and big spots for his team there. And really just stood out in the box. At the same time, the reviews on the defense were really, really rough. And uh, the games I was at, he was mostly DHing and one of the things we talk about is in the minor leagues, obviously development takes precedence over winning, but a lot of times you'll see teams do this. And this is true in the minor leagues, it's true in the fall league. When you get to the playoffs or in the case, of the fall league, the championship game, teams actually are trying to win. They let the pitchers go a little bit longer. They play guys positionally where they are best, not necessarily where they're trying to be developed. And it was telling that Austin Wells, he was originally scheduled to catch the day of the championship game. And they didn't let that happen. They, they put him at DH and let Drew Millis with the Nationals. They put him behind the plate to do the catching. And just talking to evaluators who are out there, it was pretty straightforward decision. Just a lot of balls getting past him. Is it first base? Is it DH? Uh, I know the Yankees are going to develop him as a catcher, and, and you'll find people within their organization who say he can catch, but they're kind of alone on an island there. Realistically, where does Austin Wells end up on the field? I think you could probably try him in left field if you like that, because you're I don't think you want to move a guy to first base that quickly just because you, know, you want him to have some value other defensively other than first base. I mean, there's first base has some value, but you'd rather try to get something out of him in the outfield first, but we'll see. I don't think I would give, give up on him catching necessarily. He seems like the guy who will work to try to make that better and get himself playable. I did notice that watching, when I was watching Volpe, you, know, you could see how hard, Wells was working before the games to try to get better. And some scouts did say he did get better. And I will note in the fall league, part of why he might not have caught as much down the stretch, A, I think his team had like a ton of catchers on him for whatever reason. But he did get dinged a little bit. Like I went to see, well, I didn't go to see him. I don't ever go to see any particular player in the fall league. Um, uh, He was out of the lineup and not in BP. And he had tweaked a quad a little bit, legging out a triple, which is something you often hear from about a catcher. he was, you know, so that might have played a role in it too. But overall, a really fine debut season for Austin. All right, Josh, we're going to get into the back half of this top 10. First, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back with Josh Norris breaking down the Yankee system. All right, Josh, we talked about the top five in this system. And as you acknowledge, a pretty good top five guys who have produced, guys who have shown big tools, a very, very solid group of fairly established prospects. You get into the back half of this top 10, and it's an interesting mix. It's recent draft picks, it's breakout players, it's guys who have been around a little bit and maybe are starting to put some things together. I feel like it's safe to say the top five in the system were pretty clearly the top five. How many guys were in the mix for the six to 10 group? Because it seems like you had a lot of different options, a lot of different ways you could have gone. I could have probably gone down to about 13 and 13 might've been stretching at 13. Spoiler alert is Clark Schmidt. And, you know, Clark, unfortunately is 25 years old, about 26 by the time the year starts. Um, and he just missed most of the year after tweaking his elbow on one of the very first days of spring training. And it's hard based on the innings total he's seen in the last couple of years to see a future for him as a starter at this point. So I kind of demurred from putting him in there. And I, um, I went with, if you've seen my list, I went with Wesneski, Hayden Wesneski, a right-hander who broke out this year at number six, uh, Trey Sweeney, their first rounder at seven, Oswaldo Cabrera, who broke out in a crazy way at the upper levels this year. Uh, Luis Medina. I mean, if you follow the Yankee system for any level of time, you know who Luis Medina is. And Ken Waldchuk, another breakout guy who was at uh, Pulaski in 2019 with Volpe and, you know, didn't perform terribly well, but now he's, he's super funky and uh, was untouchable in Hudson Valley. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers here. Uh, seven starts, 12 hits, 30 innings, 55 strikeouts, uh, 16 strikeouts per nine decent uh, wasn't quite as dominant at double a but you know he's a very interesting left-handed prospect in a system that has been typically bereft of left-handers usually when they when they go out and get left-handers it's like cc sabathia i want to start with wisneski who you hit on first here and checked in at number six in the system he was a six-round pick out of sam houston state in 2019 so one of those guys who got to make his pro debut briefly and didn't have 2020 season so this was his first full season and he vaulted up three levels a high a double a finished here in triple a put together a pretty impressive season there's a lot of scout buzz on him pretty early in the year what do the yankees have here they have a guy who might fit at the back of a rotation or as a power reliever he throws the heck out of the ball he's got uh got all three fastballs he's got four seamer sinker and cutter and he's got a really interesting slur with him too um he's he's another guy who has been optimized is the word that i think is in vogue these days by the yankees pitching development department um they i i will give it up to those guys uh, their hitting development and their pitching development people did 
an amazing job this year with most of their prospects um, and turned a lot of those guys. I mean, if you had told me Hoy Park and Diego Castillo would have got, uh, you know, got you Clay Holmes, a pretty darn good reliever from the Pirates, I would have been stunned uh, last year. And then if you had told me that would have happened and Twitter would have lost its mind over Hoy Park getting traded, I would have been absolutely gobsmacked at the, the group of words you had just strung together consecutively, to put it that way. Um, but either, anyway, Wesneski was, you know, a guy who was on the radar entering uh, this year, insofar as anybody could be on the radar based on nobody doing anything last year. He was an interesting guy based on the stuff, and it popped this year, just like Waldachuk. He and Waldachuk started at the same level, and uh, was. Uh, yeah, Wesneski got all the way to AAA. So he's going to be knocking on the door of the big leagues next year. He'll probably start back there. He'll probably get a good long look in big league camp, depending on what big league camp looks like because of this lockout. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, either way, they've got a really interesting prospect who is way more intriguing than I thought he was going to be entering the year. In similar vein, on the position player side, Oswaldo Cabrera, as you mentioned, had 22 home runs in his first four seasons as a minor leaguer combined. Came back this year, hit 29 home runs, 31 doubles, two triples. He had a 2020 season. He was 21 for 26 on stolen bases. Hit for a decent average, decent on base. Uh, the slugging percentage was obviously exceptionally high. And he did it double A and triple A. It wasn't like he was doing this beating up on rookie ball and low A pitching. I mean, he did it at the upper levels. And again, there are strikeouts there. The overall average and, and on base at the double-A level alone are a little lower than you might like. But at the same time, we consider he was coming back from a year away and had never come anywhere close to this. It really was an impressive breakout season. What do the Yankees have here? I think they have, you know, maybe a maybe an everyday guy, possibly not for them based on what they have in front of them and what they may or may not do when free agency is a thing again. But they have a guy who's just he's got way more pop than they thought he would have had. Again, let's, let's give it up to the player development people. First of all, give it up to Oswaldo. He got, you know, if you look at, at some of his uh, bios on the internet, he's listed as 145 pounds. He is 200 pounds. Those 55 pounds of muscle are a big difference, but uh, you know, I could probably do this for pretty much every player in this book. They got him to hit the ball harder and they got him to hit the ball in the air more often. That's the thing. That's Waldo, uh, Oswald Peraza is the same way. They're probably going to do that. He, they did that with, with Volpe. They tried that with Wells. I mean, that's the mantra. It's not unique to the Yankees. It's hit it hard, and if you hit it hard, I want you to hit it in the air more often. If you're hitting it at the infielders, I want you to hit it over the infielders. If you're hitting it at the outfielders, I want you to hit it over the outfielders. You know, And you know, talking to their guys, that was pretty much – you know, just a refrain in the same way you'd hear amen at church. You hear in the air and hard, you know, it's just over and over and over again. So that was what he did this year. And he did it really, really well. And again, if you had told me Oswaldo Cabrera was going to hit 29 home runs this year, I was going to, I would, would have bet the season would have been 300 games. That's, uh, and no offense to Oswaldo, but there was nowhere in his history that told me, told me he was going to be knocking on the door of a 30 home run season. So this whole, this whole seat, this whole system this year was like, let's see what it's going to be. You know, you're, you're dealing with a scratch off lottery ticket and you have no idea how many lemons are there, how many cherries are there, how many 
stars or whatever is on your scratch off lottery ticket. So I had no real expectations. They used some guys too that like were surprises. If you had told me Glenn Otto was going to come out and go shove city from day one and make him make himself one of the bigger centerpieces in that uh, Joey Gallo deal, I would have been very surprised. Um, not as surprised on Ezekiel Duran, but you know, he, Glenn Otto was not a, a guy I would have expected to be, you know, one of the top two prospects in that trade they received. No, two or three. Um, Jansen Junk and Elvis Peguero. I mean, come on. I didn't expect those guys to go to, to both make their big leagues debuts this year. Kevin Alcantara and who was the other one who went in that trade? I'm blanking. Alexander Vizcaino. Oh, uh, Vizcaino. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vizcaino and Alcantara. Those guys I would have expected it on. But the larger long answer I'm giving you is there was a whole lot of guys in this system that just really, really raised their stock and made the 40 man roster crunch for the Yankees incredibly difficult. Like, and that's one of the things you'll also have noticed in some of those guys that got traded, a lot of them needed to be added to 40 mans this year and they weren't all going to get added to the Yankees 40 man roster. Yeah, circling back to Cabrera, he's officially listed as a shortstop. He played most of his games this year at second base, second most games at third base, and also played some short as 43 starts at second, 35 games at third, 24 games at short. Where does he fit defensively? Probably a lot of places. <laughs> second base, he could play third base. He might be able to fill into your shortstop because, like I mentioned, he gained 55 pounds and – I don't know, strap 55 pounds around your waist and see how much, see if you slow down a little bit. He slowed down a little bit. Um, and now it's, that's, that's the, the trade-off you got was he got a lot more powerful. Didn't He got a little slower. So he's probably not a guy who's going to play shortstop for you, but he can bounce around for you in that super utility role. Josh, one player I feel like we talk about every single year, at least every single year that we've done these podcasts is Luis Medina. Uh, it's kind of been the, the same story with him for a long time. Throws very, very, very hard. Doesn't always know where it's going. He had shown a few control improvements toward the end of 2019. Came back out this year in 2021 and did okay. Double A, triple A, the ERA was fine. Definitely missed bats, but the walks were still overly high. What is the latest on Luis Medina and what role he fits into the Yankees moving forward? Boy. That's the $10 million question, isn't it? You're right. He, he didn't throw as many strikes as you would want this year. But that stuff is still ridiculous. I mean, you've got a guy who's going to sit in the upper 90s. He'll touch you 102 a lot. I mean, if you're going to tell me he's going to be a power reliever, I wouldn't, believe, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you. Is there still an outside chance? Because he's still 22 years old. I can do this math. He will be 23 in May. And he's still got that stuff that you're never going to give up on. I'll say this every time I talk about him. I lived through Dell and Batanz's development path. And it was always the big, just remarkable, monstrous stuff that, you know, defies physics and you know, summons the devil from the, under the diamond. It's, just, it's ridiculous. And he's got that kind of stuff. When you see him on, you're not touching him. I don't care who you are. But he's not on often enough if that makes sense. Like his scouting report was roughly the same as it was. This was a one guy who came back like, okay, this is almost exactly what you expect out of him. Bouts of pure wizardry and witchcraft. 
and bouts of where you think he's being controlled by a voodoo doll. It's, it's, it's not great, but it's going to be that same refrain. You cannot give up on stuff like that. This guy will be a big leaguer. He could be a starter, but it's more likely he's going to be some sort of power reliever. You mentioned Dylan Patances, who at his prime was one of the best relievers in Major League Baseball. But to be clear, he started one game in his entire Major League career, purely reliever. Uh Is Luis Medina, I mean, is there any realistic chance of him starting? Just because looking at generally the profile, the inconsistency, it it doesn't look like it on paper. It's not a huge chance. The scouts, they're, they're scouts I trust very much who will not close the door on it. I mean, what have I just been saying for the last... 25 minutes about guys who have taken ridiculous jumps in this system over the last year. If you told me they somehow got it out of him and they got it out of him before in the lower levels to, to throw more strikes and throw more quality strikes, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. But yeah, Batances, I'm surprised he started one game in the big leagues, although I think I remember it quite frankly. Um, but the one, the one huge differentiator between Medina and Batances is Medina is a normal sized human being. Uh, Dellen Batances is not. That was a lot of body to control and it didn't always work out. So Medina at least has that going for him. And no one's ever been able to necessarily diagnose anything physically why he's not throwing the strikes he should. So it's still a bit of, bit of a wild card. He's still got plenty of time to go. If you told me the odds were 20 to 80, if you use those numbers we use so often. 2080 that he was going to wind up as a starter. I think that's pretty fair. Throughout this podcast, you've mentioned a couple of guys who didn't make it into the top 10 and the depth of the Yankees farm system has been a strength for them for a long time. We've talked about how many guys that were fairly off the radar or under the radar that popped this year. Who are some guys on the outside of this group that you think a year or two from now we could look up and are potentially top 10 prospects in the system, but more importantly, ultimately big leaguers who impact the Yankees in a big way. Elijah Dunham had a really, really good season. He was one of their NDFAs, um, and he was credited as a, as a... The credit went to a combination of their area scout, Mike Gibbons, and uh, Mitch Colahan on, on their amateur scouting staff, too. This was one of the very few uh, co-bylines they get for signed buys. Um, but it's a good pickup. I mean, he showed power. He showed some speed. He showed a lot of little things, and he crushed it in the fall league, too. So this might be a guy who I wind up being low on. I have him, again, spoiler alert, at 18 uh, in their list. He's behind some other guys who I'm still kind of holding out hope for. I mean, if you told me Debbie Garcia rebounded next year, I wouldn't be totally surprised. If you told me Estevan Floreal rebounded next year, his ceiling might be a little higher than uh, Dunham's. But this is a guy who made a great first impression and the Yankees did a really, really good job um, picking him up as an NDFA after that weird 2020 draft um, guy. I didn't know a whole lot about coming into the year. Number 21, uh, Ron Marinaccio. I remember Kevin Reese mentioned him in interviews with local Somerset media at some point um, before the year. And boy, did he have a great year. He has a, a nasty breaking ball. Um, they, they love them, the sweeper slider in that system, and he has a filthy one. Uh, he also has a, just a ferocious changeup. So he's got two really good weapons and a fastball that's nothing in, you know, up to 98. I mean, there's three really good pitches this year, and that guy struck out roughly 
roughly 13 per nine innings with a rock rate, a walk rate of about 3.5 per nine out of the bullpen. This is a pure relief prospect. There's a zero chip percent chance he can start unless we start using openers. Uh, but he's, he jumped on the radar. They have a host of these relief guys at the back, Ron Marinaccio, uh, Steven Ridings got to the big leagues, uh, JP Sears, great pickup in the trade for uh, Nick Rumbelow a couple of years ago. Uh, and Greg Weissert, who has a really nasty slider too. Well, all those guys are reliever pieces who could be there. And if you want someone who's not a pitcher, um, Anthony Garcia will always have my heart because my goodness, can that young man hit the ball 500 feet from both sides of the plate? I've, it's ferocious 70 to 80 grade raw power from both sides. And you just do not see it that often. He got better with his approach this year. I mean, he's the first baseman probably. But that power, like the power from Luis Medina's right arm, is something you do not give up on ever. I mean, he hit 14 home runs this year in 110, 121 at-bats between the FCL and low A. He hit six home runs in 55 at-bats at low A. I think, you know, we had on bases better than, better than 420 at both levels. 20 years old. He's got limitless potential. You know, you're talking about an average exit velocity of 91.4 miles an hour, which is pretty darn good. So that's a really intriguing guy. And, you know, he's going to, no matter how his big league career or his development path works out, he's going to be super fun to watch wherever he winds up. Yeah, as we mentioned, the Yankees, there's a lot of guys in the system who are really, really talented in the lower levels and just need to keep proving it. And we've seen this Yankees player development group really do an excellent job helping guys get better, position players, pitchers. It really is a player development group that has established itself as one of the more productive around right now, just in terms of how they've helped guys get better from year to year in the minors. Obviously, the ultimate test is what these players end up becoming in the major leagues, and that's not going to be sorted out for a few more years. But there's no question there are a lot of things to like about the Yankees just in terms of the talent base they have, the player development infrastructure they have, and hopefully it's something that the Yankees will be able to translate into more consistent success in the postseason at the major league level. There's a lot of steps that have to be taken until that happens, but you can dream on it a little bit. Josh, just before we wrap up here, any final thoughts on this system and just how it stands right now, the overall talent group? And like I said, it's a little thinner than it was entering the year, but that's natural because they traded 10 guys who probably all would have ranked in their 30, if not all in their 40. So they, but it wasn't like I was super reaching for anyone when I got through the 40. There's some, there's some darts I threw, no question, that is either going to make me look stupid or slightly smart next year. But it's not crazy. I mean – Albert Abreu is at 31 now. Granted, he needs one out before he graduates from being a prospect, so kind of a small stretch there. But, you know, he showed flashes of potential in the big leagues this year. He, there were moments where he was really good. Uh, there's, a, there's a right-hander named Juan Carrella uh, in the minor leagues who could be kind of interesting based on the, the raw numbers and what the uh, analytical data shows you. And there's probably more, <laughs> more reliever prospects that um, – I didn't even get to in 31 through 40. It's a really interesting system and it will be really interesting to see how they use it in the coming years, whether they, you know, go out and sign once this lockout is over a Carlos Correa or a Trevor story, or if they really do believe that the future of shortstop, second base, third base, wherever he might wind up and shortstop in general is, is going to be Oswald 
Peraza, Oswald Peraza, if you're pronouncing it correctly, and Anthony Volpe. Uh, if those guys are really going to be impact big leaguers for the Yankees coming next couple of years, or if they, you know, spend a lot of money uh, and plug those holes that way. But they've got, they've got some really good, really interesting prospects. I mean, we talked about Volpe at the beginning. There are some, there are some organizations who have him in their personal top 10. Like he's that good. He's wicked good. Uh, I guess that's the best way I could put it. He's wicked good. And it's, it's, I'm lucky that I have four systems, the Rangers, the Marlins, the Yankees, and the Giants that are all pretty darn good. Like I didn't sit here and try to write up four guys in the thirties. Not that that's ever the case, but anyway, uh, it's a long way of saying, um, you know, it was, it's a pretty interesting system and I had fun writing it and I've been writing this system for, this is my ninth year now and then covering it for six years in Trenton. So going on 15 years writing about the system. Yeah, absolutely. Again, there's been a fair amount of regular season success. The postseason success has not come recently, but something the Yankees will surely try and address proactively, whether it's free agency, whether it's from this farm system, whether it's in trades. And uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of years ahead for the Yankees. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another edition of the Baseball America Prospects Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.